Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, remember when I said last week that I wasn't sure if Ari Patu had quite shown enough to seriously be in the mix to take snaps for Stanford? Well, see, this is why I host a podcast and don't coach a team. Although apparently podcast hosts have all sorts of powers, according to certain future Hall of Fame quarterbacks. Oh, well. Um, that's something else entirely. What we're here to do is to discuss Stanford football. That's what we do best on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network. Thursday, November 11th, 2021. Hey there, hi there, ho there. Glad that you are here with us. I'm a Detroit Clary, host of this show, 29 years of following Stanford football, eight years of Pac-12 network play-by-play across eight different sports, and I'm very pleased to be welcoming into uh, this show our special guest for this episode later on in the program, Pac-12 network colleague of mine, and an all-around good dude I always enjoy uh, talking uh, Pac-12 ball with him, and he saw Oregon State last week. Oregon State, Stanford's opponent, this week. He's also seen a lot of other things around the Pac-12 as well. The one and only Yogi Roth, our special guest on this episode of the TreeCast. Looking forward to breaking all of that down with him as Oregon State tries to break a two-game losing skid, while Stanford tries to break a four-game losing streak as they've fallen from three and two after that Oregon game. It seems like it was so, so long ago. To now three and six, and uh, zero margin for error left for a possible bowl bid. It's great to have you with us. If you haven't subscribed to the show, I always encourage that you do so. We are available via your favorite listening app, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, iHeart, TuneIn. No matter which way you want to go, no matter which way you want to listen, the TreeCast is there. Now, of course, I always... Love it when you rate and review the show, and uh, even more important, share the show and tell folks about the program and what we've got going here on the TreeCast. Always appreciate that, and above all, appreciate you being a part of the program. Well, David Shaw began his weekly media Zoom on Tuesday with his usual injury report, with Stanford getting ready to face the Oregon State Beavers up in Corvallis, a 2.30 p.m. kickoff. On Saturday, that game is on the Pac-12 network. And of course, the big thing to watch is the health of quarterback Tanner McKee, who missed last week's game against Utah. Shaw said McKee had made the turn for the better and was on the line between questionable and doubtful. Then he said this. If Tanner can't play, uh, Ari Patu will start, of course. So potentially anticipate seeing Isaiah Sanders in there uh, multiple rules that he has on offense as well as on special teams. So Ari Patu in line to perhaps get his first start on the collegiate level. So what does that mean? 
We'll dive into deeper detail in just a moment, beginning with three things you need to know about Stanford football. But first, a reminder that Bet Online is better than ever with the new web interface for the start of the basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, baseball, postseason, which is already done, but hey, you still could use it there anyway. NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino. Games don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. Three things you need to know about Stanford football heading into the showdown against the Oregon State Beavers. Let's begin with number one. So there's a possibility that Tanner McKee could play this week in Corvallis. Well, what are the parameters, what are the benchmarks that Tanner needs to pass to be able to play against Oregon State? David Shaw explains. It depends on if Tanner can, can do something full speed. Um, if he can do something full speed on a Friday run through, then that's the call I got to make. Now, if he can do something full speed before that and feel great about it, um, then I feel great about um, declaring him as a starter and going, going full board. Um, if there's any hesitance, is there any inconsistency in his ability to first and foremost protect himself, second of all, be able to play at a high level, then he just won't play. So perhaps this could be all decided by as late as Friday. Now, if McKee is a no-go, what's the scoop on Ari Patu? David Shaw with that answer. 6'3 plus, quick, quick release, strong arm, um, athletic, um, great leader. Um, you know, we saw all that early on in his career uh, and uh, I'm excited to get him here. And now he's got a great opportunity. Um, and uh, But the opportunity is still there if Tanner can't go. And there's no doubt about it. Right now, a lot of this game for Stanford perhaps rests on Tanner McKee's health and availability. More on Patu later. Let's move on to number two. Stanford potentially without its best player on offense this week with McKee's status in question. Stanford will definitely be without its best player on defense. Mentioned on Sunday's show that uh, Cardinal cornerback Caillou Blue Kelly did not play at all in the second half against Utah. I didn't even see him um, on the sidelines as he did get injured very, very late in the first half against the Utes. Shaw confirming on Tuesday that uh, KBK is out for this week's game against the Beavers. I asked Shaw if it's something that could be go beyond this week. He's out for a week, uh, most likely just a week. If it lingers, then we'll have that conversation later, but um, I, I feel like this is a short-term thing. Hopefully we'll be back next week. So how was the Stanford locker room taking that news? Cardinal safety and Kelly's defensive backfield mate Noah Williams with his thoughts. Yeah, obviously uh, Kai is a big part of our defense. He's been playing well all season. Um, but luckily, we're in a position where we're getting some guys back healthy as well. Um, and I, I think we're no sort of we're no stranger to kind of adapting to kind of injuries and guys being down. And we've all done a great job, kind of making sure the whole defensive backroom is kind of tied with the game plan and is able to sort of step up when they need to. And I'm really confident in our guys to be able to step up and kind of fill in in his absence. Yep. Next man up. I mean, the Stanford uh, defensive backs have been in this position before throughout the entirety of this season. We still haven't seen Jonathan McGill, who has uh, missed the entire year to this point. 
So Ethan Bonner and Salim Turner-Muhammad listed as starters on Stanford's depth chart now at the cornerback position. I'd imagine that we'll also see Nicholas Toomer and Jaden Slocum as well. Let's wrap up three things with number three. You know, Stanford has beaten Oregon State 11 straight times. 11 in a row. Stanford's turned it up to 11 on the Beavs. It's also the third straight year that Stanford is making the trip up to Corvallis. Last year's game was supposed to happen down at Stanford, but, well, you know. Card wide receiver Michael Wilson had both of those streaks on his mind earlier this week. I was thinking about this, actually, when I was biking over here. We haven't lost Oregon. I haven't lost Oregon State since I've been at Stanford, so I want to keep that, that streak going this week. Um, this will be our third year playing there in a row. Beat them the last two years there. Um, so hopefully that will give the team a little bit of juice, knowing that we're playing in a familiar place that we've that we've done really well at in the last couple of years. Yeah, as, as much attention has been paid to Stanford and its unforgiving road schedule the last couple of years, Reeser Stadium might be more familiar surroundings for the Cardinal than most folks might actually think. As for his thoughts on the Beavers, David Shaw says they're just about like everyone else in the conference. There are games you turn on and they are dominant, right? They, they run the ball up and down on people. They've made big plays in the passing game on everybody. Um, they've had some dominating defensive performances, and then they've had some that are not. Um, so I think it, it's it's one of those things where we'll see which Stanford team shows up. We'll see which Oregon State team shows up. Um, one thing I can tell you, because it seems to be exactly what happens every single time we play Oregon State, it's probably going to be a one-score game in the fourth quarter. And we'll see who who, uh, who can finish it on top. Yeah, yeah. It, it seems like the last few times this game has been played in Corvallis, it's come down to a late Stanford field goal and a late Oregon State fumble. In fact, I mean, that, that, that 2016 game, you know, when Stanford did almost literally nothing against the Beavers, but OSU fumbled when they were trying to run off the clock. Stanford recovered and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside caught the game-winning touchdown. Even though Stanford has had success there uh, over the past few years, that's a tough place to go up and try to win a ball game. The, the crowd, uh, that chainsaw sound effect that David Shaw loves so much. Um, the weather heading up that way in mid-November can be a bit dicey, although looking at the forecast right now for Saturday, cloudy and 59, so it appears that things are going to remain dry uh, for that ball game. So, hey, if this one's a one-score game towards the end again, can the card find a way? Those are three things. Some other injury news of note, along with Caillou Blue Kelly, uh, outside linebacker Stephen Heron and running back Casey Filkins are both out for this one. Uh, on the questionable list, running back EJ Smith. We thought that might be the case uh, when we talked about this uh, on Sunday's uh, tree cast, but uh, RJ, uh, EJ Smith rather um, is questionable, as is safety Kendall Williamson and wide receivers John Humphreys and Elijah Higgins. It'll be great to get those two guys back. Uh, Higgins, tried, Higgins tried to give it a go during pregame last week, but uh, just couldn't pull it off. So uh, wide receivers, a couple men down. Running backs could be a man down as well. Safety, too. And uh, certainly Caillou Blue Kelly uh, being out for the Stanford defense uh, could be one thing to watch on Saturday. A lot of things to watch between Stanford and Oregon State. We'll uh, catch up with Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Network in just a moment. But um, uh, one thing that I wanted to spend a little time on and, uh, and, and, and note and give you my thoughts on, um, one of the bigger subplots this week around college football has been some programs 
uh, making some in-season changes to their coaching staffs, notably firing assistant coaches uh, over the past few days. In fact, Stanford's opponent this week, Oregon State, fired its defensive coordinator on Sunday. So that could potentially have an effect on on some things we see in Corvallis on Saturday. Uh, Washington fired its offensive coordinator. Good Lord, that program had an awful week <laughs> last week. Cal had a really had a really bad week last week, but uh, Washington may have had an even worse one. Uh, Florida and Nebraska also making in-season changes to its coaching staff this week. I mean, normally... We don't see stuff like this until after the season, but all throughout college football, um, we're, we're seeing folks making changes in season with their coaching staff. So, so given that, and given how Stanford, how things have gone for Stanford the past month, David Shaw was asked on Tuesday for his thoughts on that trend and how it could possibly apply to his program. Here is his entire response. Yeah, I, I, particular for me, I'm not, I'm not in favor of doing that, and. I'm a coach's kid. I've been around this thing my entire life. And um, I don't want to, I don't want to disrespect anybody else's process. Other people can do the things that they think are best for them and the organization. Um, for me, I look at it being up to me, right? If something's not going on, then I have to address it. If something's going on, then I have to change it. Um, I have to try to make it better. Um, it's really easy to point the fingers at somebody as you push them out the door. Um, but then what have you changed? Right. Um, so for me, uh, it's about us getting back to the way that we played earlier in the year. Um, you know, but we played some very good football. Um, uh, we've battled a lot of injuries. We've battled a lot of other circumstances. Um, and that's part of it. Um, the whole idea is that when you win a game and you push yourself to that point where you're better than you were before that satisfaction uh, is immeasurable and really not really understandable by those people outside of your own program. Um, so we're in a tough spot right now. And when you're in a tough spot, to me, you pull everybody closer. You don't push people away. Uh, we've got great people here on staff. We've got great student athletes. Um, and we're, we're pulling together uh, to try to get out the best out of this group and get back in the win column. And, and it starts with momentum. Because um, I, I truly believe when this team feels some momentum and can really get back to the way we were playing earlier in the year, um, we could have some fun these these last three weeks of the regular season. Well, so there it is. Shaw's going to dance with who brung him for the rest of the season. But some Stanford fans looking around and, and seeing an unprecedented wave of, of in-season coaching staff changes. We didn't even bring up what happened in Pullman last month. I, I kind of wasn't surprised, given those things, uh, to get this tweet uh, from at uh, C. Murph. Seamurf says, quote, given the multi-year downward trajectory culminating in what is one of the worst losses in program history, your thoughts on a coaching change? UW, Florida, Nebraska all made changes today. He sent that tweet on Monday, I believe. Stanford never seems to. End of tweet from Seamurf. Hey, appreciate it. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Give me the hashtag TreeCast. And uh, thanking you and, and thank you for the tweet as well. I, I certainly appreciate that in a, in a big time way. Um, uh, multi-year downward trajectory. So are, are we just ignoring the 2020 season <laughs> that, that happened? Right. I mean, look, I, I wouldn't fault folks for, for not being as focused on or engaged with that season, given everything else that was happening during November and December of last year. But Stanford still went four and two. 
won its final four games all on the road and was playing pretty well throughout much of that. And if not for that false positive on Davis Mills right before the opener against Oregon, who knows where Stanford could have been at the end of it. I mean, last season kind of seemed like it happened in the vacuum or maybe miraculously in a bubble. But, I mean, you, you can't just throw 2020 out, right? So that's why it's hard for me to consider it a multi-year downward trajectory. Anyway, that's that's the side plot. The main point to, to, to his tweet and the main point to all of that is this. I appreciate everyone who listens to this show, mostly because that means you care about Stanford football. And if you listen to this show, I believe you're going to get good stuff, a lot of good stuff, and, and hear things that you simply will not hear anywhere else. One thing you're not going to hear on this show, however, is me speculating on which coaches may or may not be back next year. I worked in sports talk radio every day for 17 years, major market and network level. A lot of sports talk is built around one simple topic. Fire the coach. (laughs) I never did that. I never did that. Never did fire the coach radio. You might remember my old Clarity's Corner columns on the bootleg. You remember who the head coach was when those columns began back in 2002? Buddy Tevens. Never did the fire the coach column. Shoot, I hosted Stanford football postgame call-in shows on KMBR 1050 back then too. Never did the fire the coach show. Some of the callers felt differently. I never did that. And I'll make the story as brief as I possibly can. A few years ago, I was up in Eugene doing a lacrosse game for the Pac-12 Network. And after the game was done, my broadcast partner met with a friend of hers. Her husband worked for Oregon football at the time. He offered us up a tour of the football complex. I said, all right, cool. My flight back to the Bay Area isn't for a few more hours. I'm curious to see what... What, what this place is all about. That place is off the hook insane. Holy cow. But my broadcast partner and I checked out the facility with the Duck football staff for his wife and their three small children in tow. And they had just bought a house in a neighboring town. And they were just super excited about the future. And, and, and why not? I mean, those, those, those kids were, were cute little bundles of energy. They loved Eugene and Oregon football. Uh, Oregon football at that time was spring of 2016. It was going to be trending upwards for years to come. Fast forward a few months when Mark Helfrich, then the head coach of the Ducks, got fired and was the first head coach to be fired by Oregon in 40 years. And a lot of my thoughts, once that news came out, went right back to that family. Look, when head coaches get fired, more often than not, they're going to be okay. They have massive buyouts and all sorts of other safety nets. I'm a lot more concerned about the support staffers and maybe some of the assistant coaches who also get thrown out on the street who don't have massive buyout clauses and who have families who also face equally uncertain futures. So I I thought a lot about that family when Mark Helfrich got fired. And even this was even true before all of this. That's why I don't do 
fire the coach content. I don't speculate on other people's livelihoods. I don't take that stuff. I don't take that stuff lightly. When folks say fire the coach, there's a real human cost to that. You fire an assistant coach, that's one family that gets upended. You fire a head coach, and that's scores of people and their families affected. I wouldn't wish that on anyone, and that's why I don't do it. Now, if and when changes are made, we'll worry about that then and see what Stanford does going forward. Until then, I'll leave that subject to others. Deal? Deal. Now, all of this isn't to say that that David Shaw won't make any changes or adjustments at all. We'll talk about that in a bit. But right now, let's get to our special guest, my Pac-12 Network colleague, and one of my favorites to chat Pac-12 football with, and with Stanford facing Oregon State this week, our special guest just got done watching. Oregon State, live and in person, that game in Boulder, man, that was kind of shocking how the Beavs went to overtime and shocking how they lost it, but he is a perfect person to ask what could possibly be in store for the Cardinal when they face the Oregon State Beavers. He was in the booth with my man Ted Robinson calling the game last week, and now he joins us on the TreeCast, the one and only Pac-12 Network football analyst, Yogi Roth. Yogi, appreciate the time as always, my man. How you doing? I'm doing well, man. I, I love listening to your show. You Thank get me you. through my weeks. I watch it or I listen to it every time I'm watching film. And uh, I always adore listening to you ask questions as well to Coach Shucks. I'm like, I would ask that question. That's a good question. Post game. <laughs> so thank you for doing my job for me, man. I, I appreciate that. Hey, teamwork makes the dream work. Appreciate the, uh, uh, the kind words. And you were in the building at the Folsom Field last week. Bees have kind of cooled, back, cooled off a little bit with the back-to-back losses. Uh, how different is this Beaver team that we've seen the last couple of weeks than the one that got off to a, a pretty hot start and was one of the top stories in the conference to start? I honestly think they're pretty similar still, to be honest with you, Troy. Like, you, you look at who they've played and how they've played, their games have all been really tight, you know, for the most part. I, th- I think that's who this team is. Their challenge has been in every game, it's been something different. So I called the Washington State loss when they had it rolling. They lost on the road. And I believe that, you know, they went for a fake punt. They gave life back to Wazoo. They didn't convert on it. And here comes Washington State. And at the time, Nick Rolovich was there. Uh, Craig Stutzman was calling plays. This offense took fire. And then Oregon State had to come from behind and win by throwing the ball late. Couldn't do it on their final drive. I think when you look at the Cal game, I called that one. And we've had Oregon State for four weeks in a row, four games in a row. You look at the Cal loss, um, and it was the opposite of the Utah win, where at the line of scrimmage, Oregon State couldn't do much. And you look at Cal's defense, everything Cal's gone through, they've given up the least amount of 10-plus yard runs. Oregon State has the most 10-plus yard runs. That met, and Cal won. That battle they just didn't miss any tackles there was no explosive plays they ran for i'm pretty sure a season low uh and chance nolan wasn't perfect and then you look at this past week he missed a couple big explosive play opportunities down the field and here comes a colorado team with a ton of athleticism they've started to spread things out offensively it's a different scheme than what they did against usc in the first month of the season when i was in boulder calling that game to now so i think it's a little bit of everything where the margin the margin that Oregon State has to not play efficiently and consistently is small. And I think that's this league. 
for the most part. So they're not in the upper echelon where Oregon and Utah sit right now. I think they're in that next tier where a lot of teams sit in our league. And they're trying to figure out a way to potentially break up um, into that uh, upper tier. You mentioned uh, Chance Nolan. Uh, it seems like he has at least two or three wow throws every single game. And, of course, B.J. Baylor, their battering ram in the backfield. What have you seen largely from those two guys so far this season? Yeah, well, this offense, Stanford fans are going to love watching this offense because there's some similarities to the last decade of Stanford deep play action pass, try to run the ball, run it from a variety of different formations and shifts and personnel groupings, get the tight ends involved. And when they run it and BJ is going, especially in their stretch run game. And by that, I mean, imagine an offensive lineman at the snap, just running as fast as he could to the right or the left. And when the D lineman chases uh, sideline to sideline, there's just a natural gap that slowly opens up. And BJ Baylor does not mean need much of a gap. And, I think he's an elite back. I think he's in the conversation for Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year with Drake London being injured and done for the rest of the season. Uh, and he showed up again last week, obviously, had, had another impressive 100-plus yard outing. When he's moving and they're running, Chance Nolan can deal. And I believe this is still true. Anytime Oregon State or Chance Nolan has thrown it over 20 times in a conference game, they've lost. So they don't want to sit back and deal. Now, they can. He can. Right? He missed a couple, but to your point, he makes some wow throws. We started our show last week with three or four wow throws from Chance Nolan, where you're just like, what? How did he make that, you know, that spot throw? He just has a knack for the deep ball traditionally. He's going to need to get that back against Stanford. They're going to have to take some shots so they get the run game going, and, and their offense should, will be fun to watch. I'd imagine they get back to doing what they've been accustomed to doing this season on that side of the ball. Yeah, I, I hope one of those wow throws that y'all showed was uh, the one that Chance had against Washington State, that final drive, oh, yeah. uh, the one to the far sideline. I'm just like, what? Holy yeah. cow, how did he complete that one? One of the Maybe one, maybe one of the best throws uh, in the Pac-12 so far this year. Uh, Oregon State's dropped back-to-back games. Stanford's lost four in a row and are, are really kind of hitting the doldrums of late as the result of that uh, shellacking they suffered against Utah last week. Uh, what, do you, what do you make of, of what Stanford's gone through over the past month? You know, I'll say this. I came into this season after watching Stanford in training camp. I remember being at practice with Ashley Adamson, and we walked out, and I was like, I could see this team taking a run at the Pac-12 North. I really could. And the first game – we were all kind of collectively surprised, but you saw him make a change at quarterback with Tanner McKee, clearly the most talented guy at that position, as we've come to learn. They do their thing against SC and Vandy. I called the UCLA game. That was a great game. Didn't think anything less of Stanford after that loss. They beat Oregon. Uh, you know, a unique game, but wasn't surprised it was as close as it was, regardless of who won. And then to your point, it's it has been something that I did not anticipate with this team on both sides of the ball over the last month of the season. And as David Shaw references, and I go back and watch all these games, man, and it's, it's just a couple things. And you're just sitting there saying, wow, where did that come from? Whether it was a penalty or, you know, a, a poor read or a missed tackle, like things that we didn't see. Even in the K-State game, you, you could argue, like defensively, they played well enough to win that ball game, holding sure. that team to whatever it was, 20-some points, I think it was, right? Um, and I, and I thought coming in, Stanford would be explosive. I looked at their receiving core, and I said, this might be the best receiving core in the league. Uh, and over the last month, it's just been – they've just struggled. The Utah game, to me, I'm not ready to say, like, that's who they are. I think that was the worst game 
that David Shaw's team have played, you know, and I would say he would probably say the same thing collectively. It was just, that was a tough game to watch. I'd imagine the staff didn't even watch the whole thing back just because why would you want to go through that again? And I don't think that's their identity. So now I, I can't wait to see if they make some changes, um, whether that's defensively. Are you getting up the field a little bit more? Stanford's not a heavy pressure team, as you know. I think they're going to bring more heat. I think you have to. I think you have to try to crease this team a little bit. You have to reestablish the line of scrimmage against that stretch running scheme that I referenced. Uh, and I'm looking forward to watching that. And then a quarterback, we'll see. I I'd love to see Ari Patu kind of get a little burn. I still think Tanner's a dude there, and I think he's the face of the league next year at that position. But Ari would be fun to watch in this type of game. Yeah, what, what, what do you think is, is fair to expect from Ari in this game if it does indeed come down to him taking the majority of the snaps on Saturday? Well, here's the thing, that if I was calling it, these would be the questions I would be asking Davita Pritchard, the OC, and Coach Shaw if Ari's the guy, is how much are you carrying in the playbook, right? No, no freshman is able, in my opinion, to operate David Shaw's offense. No first-year starter probably is in its entirety, right? There's so much. The responsibility is is amazing. It's why Davis Mills is playing in the NFL. It's why guys have had success there. Kevin Hogan's the all-time winningest quarterback there, and on and on and on. So you can't give them those things. I highly doubt Ari Patu would go and in, going into the huddle with three plays, right? So now we're going to see a different, a totally different operation mm -hmm. if he's the guy, which call it maybe 12 concepts, which is still a decent amount of concepts to carry into a game. Uh, not a bunch of variants within those concepts, probably not a lot of audibles in the run game with the line of scrimmage. So you're trying to get him to play fast and maybe you create some tempo. That, that's what I would anticipate if I was Ari Patu and he was playing. And if I was calling, I'd say, all right, limit the playbook. What does he love? What does he absolutely love? If he doesn't love it, it's out. If he doesn't feel confident in it, it's out. Let's run the football, of course, but let's get this guy going. Spread him out, some zone reads, some clear pictures for him. Uh, you know, not have it all packed up near the line of scrimmage because you want him to be able to just see and have one or two keys within his progression as as the same to call it here. So I, I'm, I'm pumped. I, I've seen Ari since he was in high school. I know he didn't play a lot, but I remember seeing him at the Elite 11, man, and talking to the Stanford staff saying, this guy's going to be so fun. Because he's, it's unlike anybody that's ever been in that quarterback room. So I, I hope Tanner plays for his health and his sake. I'm a huge Tanner McKee guy. But if he doesn't, must see. I'm going to be watching every single snap twice just to watch Ari Patu. Yeah, and when it came to Ari's performance during the spring game, we know he's got spider 2 Y banana down yes. pat. We at least know that. So we'll see if that pops up again this Saturday. Let me take a quick look at the uh, Pac-12 here with, with one thing. You mentioned Oregon and Utah. Oregon, of course, uh, carrying the torch for the Pac-12. But Utah, to me, has been a team that's really gained momentum. And maybe you could make the argument that, that Utah overall is playing better than Utah as we speak at this time. Uh, what do you make of what both of those teams could potentially have on, on their plates going forward? I love that. I love that you said that. I've been on a lot of shows where they say that too, and that's great because Utah needs to continue to gain cred around the country for a bunch of reasons. One, because they deserve it, to your point. You watch them play, whether it was at Stanford or whether it was any of their previous games. Uh, UCLA, you kind of go down their slate of games and – you know, since they made a change, last six games, they've been impressive. Cam rising, running backs aren't putting it on the turf, receivers are elevating, the defense is growing. Um, I called, again, the Oregon State game. Since that moment, the defensive front against the run has been a different out outfit. So they deserve it. Number two, the league needs it. 
right? Oregon needs Utah to be as high as possible. I don't think they're nearly as high as where they should be. I think when I look at the rankings and where they're slotted versus everybody up into A&M, I think A&M's 11. I'd take Utah in that game. And I might take Utah against A&M. I might take Utah against some of the teams in the top 10 to the point that you're making. And what I love about the committee, and I spent time with Rick George, with Ted Robinson, my partner over the weekend in Boulder, is the amount of film that they watch, I think would really surprise people. And the lack of the amount of film that the coaches poll voters watch, the coaches, and the AP voters watch, would probably surprise people too. Because people think and give a lot of credibility. I've seen big names in our industry say, well, the coaches poll has Ohio State higher or has Cincinnati higher. Find me one coach that watches anything outside their own league. They don't watch anything other than the highlights wherever they watch them. So that, that's that's my take. I'm not putting those words in your mouth, man. But my point is that the committee is really evaluating. And the way they evaluate a lot of times is saying, for instance, how would Utah's offensive front do against Wake Forest's defense's front? And they'll go and ma- look at matchups like that. And that's how they'll start to slot teams when it's tight. Utah should go win this weekend, 11 a.m. against Arizona. They should look pretty dominant in that game, I'd imagine. And then we'll see where they slide up. Because the higher they are and the more people like you are talking about Utah, the better it is for the league. Because I think Oregon's stretch is harder than playing Ohio State stretch. Alabama, I know New Mexico State is a challenging opponent this weekend. Um, <laughs> like everybody else in the SEC in Week 10 and 11, have a, have a brutal one on the schedule. Clearly, I'm sarcastic there. Um, I, I think having to play a team like Utah twice in possibly three weeks is going to be harder than any team in the country when you look at their championships late. Yeah, well, we'll all see how that uh, how that all shakes out. Let's wrap it up on this. Uh, Oregon State averaging 230 yards rushing per game. That's the most in the Pac-12. Stanford rush defense allowing, on average, 232 yards per game. Gave up 441 to Utah last week. That's the most in the Pac-12. Uh, on paper, this looks like it might be an irresistible force versus movable object type matchup. Uh, th- does the whole game hinge on whether Oregon State and B.J. Baylor can just get off on running the football? Or are there some other things potentially at play here? Well, I think there's a lot of things at play. This is a really interesting game to call. Remember, Oregon State just let go of their defensive coordinator and Tim Tibisar earlier this week. Mm-hmm. So in comes Trent Bray against either... I mean, I'd assume Tanner would be healthy if he could play. Is he 100%? Who knows, right? Or a guy who's never played meaningful snaps before in his college football life in a place that's challenging to play. Research Stadium, those fans are on you, right? Mm -hmm. You get that turnover chainsaw out, and that thing turns up up a notch or two. (laughs) So I'm curious. What what do both defensive coordinators do in this game? Like, if I was calling, and again, I would have ready, like, two or three plays of what traditional Oregon State and Stanford defense is against traditional runs, then what are we seeing as the game unfolds? I'd want to key in on that. I think the second thing, and I track this in our games, I track two things. Unforced errors, which is like whether that's a false start, a drop pass, things that like I think you can control. And I track uh, three big-time throws by the quarterback. I think in the second half of this game – Whatever dude can make three legit throws. I'm talking Chance Nolan to uh, Champ Flemings over Armani Marsh's fingertips, as you referenced in the Washington State game. Can you make three throws? Can you make a third down throw? Can you make the right read? Can you, on third in the game, Tanner McKee on a rollout, can you get it out You know, before taking uh, you know, pressure like you did a couple weeks ago? That, that's going to be the game. Uh, I really think that. I think it's going to be a whale of a game. It won't have the drama of the Bryce Love game. 
in Corvallis a couple years ago, which was, you know, him limping his way, you know, as a Heisman candidate. Uh, I remember that game like it was yesterday. Uh, and there have been really classic ones in this stadium last year as well. Yeah. So I, I think you'll have another uh, another game that comes down to the end. I think you have two programs that are really prideful. And as you know, there's a lot at stake. Clinching a bowl berth, and Stanford has no margin for error in their run to the postseason here in the last couple of weeks. So they got to go get a win as well. So I love that. I love when the sense of urgency is heightened. High stakes matchup in November. Oh, does it get any better in no. the Pac-12? How great is ball, Yogi? <laughs> <laughs> and Ted and I got the big game. How great is ball in two Excellent. weeks? Bro? I can't wait to get to the farm for that one. Excellent. That'll be intriguing on a whole lot of different levels. We'll get there next week. First, let's figure out whether Stanford can get back in the win column against the Oregon State Beavers. J.B. Long and Max Brown, my guys, will have the call of that game. Meanwhile, Yogi Roth will be watching and breaking it all down, and he'll be on the farm next week. Yogi, thanks a bunch. Always appreciate the time. Safe travels this week and next. We'll talk to you again soon. Anytime, brother. Thanks. There he is, Yogi Roth. Great stuff. Really insightful stuff. As always, as far as uh, certain schemes that uh, uh, that Stanford might try to employ to help out Ari Patu, uh, if indeed he is taking the snaps for the Cardinal uh, on Saturday and really intriguing point on the defensive coordinators as well and how critical they will be for this contest. Of course, as we mentioned, Oregon State uh, changing defensive coordinators this week. How could that potentially affect things? And will Lance Anderson, is he going to bring in a few more wrinkles, a few different wrinkles to, at the very least, stop the Oregon State Beavers from running the ball down the Cardinals' throat? Somewhat along those lines, after that debacle against the Utes last week, Stanford began picking up the pieces, and the coaches took took Saturday off, and then they went back to work on Sunday and began reevaluating things and making changes. David Shaw with a progress report. Uh, we've made some significant adjustments to some of the things that we're doing, many of which I will not share with you now. Um, but uh, talking to a couple of guys on our team, talking to multiple staff members, um, feel like we've made some positive changes, some things that we feel really good about. So adjustments and changes are underway. We don't know what they are outside the program, and I'm not going to speculate. Um, I'll wait and see what happens on Saturday and probably learn a lot of them with the rest of you. How many will we notice and see this Saturday? How many of those changes will we notice and see this Saturday? I, it's, it's hard to say, especially when some of those adjustments depend on personnel and who's available. Shaw explains. Yeah, that's one thing to say, hey, we're going to make all these changes. Uh, depends on who's available, right? Not having Caillou Kelly makes things different. Um, so as we put together the plan with some adjustments and changes, we need to take that into account. Um, whether or not we have uh, Elijah Higgins and John Humphreys, um, you know, some things that we would emphasize if they're there that we won't emphasize if they're not there. Uh, but at the same time, regardless of who's there, there are things that we just need to do better um, and things that we've needed to tweak outside of those things. So that's what we're working on this week, um, finding a way to create some momentum, find a way to get our guys excited about some of the adjustments and put them in position so they can go out there and just play fast and physical, play with the love and enjoyment that I know they have inside of them. Uh, let that show on game day, play the game with passion. And once again, get in that fourth quarter and do whatever it takes to, to come away with a victory. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Curious to see how Stanford approaches its run defense 
that was a number one on Shaw's list of things to improve after the Utah game, and rightfully so. Stanford, by the way, now 127th in the FBS in run defense. A reminder that there are 130 teams in FBS. And they're especially going to need to tighten things up against B.J. Baylor, the big running back who could just freight train you. Stanford safety Noah Williams knows that Stanford's efforts in limiting that guy won't necessarily be just on the front seven. Um, the run game is not just on the front seven. Um, in our defense, you know, safeties and corners, you know, everyone, if the ball comes your way, you know, you're expected to be able to fill your gap, know your assignment and make your play. Um, and I think some of the things that sort of we struggled with are just um, making sure that we're all sort of trusting each other to do our jobs, you know, not trying to make a play for someone else, trusting that someone else is going to be in their gap. So that way you don't have to, you know, try to make a play in their gap when that's not your play to make. And so um, I think a big thing is for all of us to really just hone in on those details and, and really trusting in, in that each one of us are going to do our own job. Yep, no doubt. Team effort, team effort required. Team effort required for Stanford. It's going to be 11 on one. 11 guys focusing on the ball carrier. That's what it's going to have to take for Stanford to get it done. And there's no doubt that much of this game will hinge on Oregon State's running attack and Stanford's run defense. But Stanford's quarterback situation will also be a main plot. If no Tanner McKee, it's Ari Patu. Not Jack West, who's still on the roster, but not on the depth chart. And now that we're in the final third of the season, less than four games left in the regular season, uh, Patu can play this year without burning his red shirt. He was an early enrollee. Um, did not actually play much, if any, of his uh, senior season football-wise because California kid outside of uh, Sacramento and Folsom, and they moved the high school football season from the fall to the spring. Well, by that point, Patu was already on campus. So uh, Patu didn't really get a whole lot of a chance to play his senior season on the high school level. But he can play this year now that we've reached this part of the season and he finally got his first snaps uh, very late in that game uh, last week without burning his red shirt. So that's, I'm sure that was a bit of a consideration perhaps as well as far as turning to Patu uh, to start if it's not Tanner McKee. Now, how does this offense change with Patu under center? David Shaw's thoughts. We're going to run our offense. Um, you know, there's no, no baby version of this thing. Um, he's very smart. Um, now we're not going to put a ton of things on his plate that he's not comfortable with. It's all about what he's comfortable with. Um, we need to run the ball with more efficiency, but at the same time, we're going to drop back and throw the ball. We've got difference makers on the outside. We've got one of the best tight ends in America um, working on the inside. Um, so hopefully we get a couple more guys back, but even if we don't, the same crew that played last week, uh, we'll put those guys out there and feel great about what they can do. Okay, so we'll we'll see. We'll see how that goes. And and Patu should have some help. I mean, hopefully the offensive line improves by leaps and bounds. And let's see what concepts the game plan emphasizes to to help Ari out and to, and to help him help him see the game. So if Patu's the guy, we don't know if he'll have John Humphreys or Elijah Higgins. As I say this on Wednesday night. But he will have Michael Wilson to throw to. That being said, those two haven't had a whole lot of chances to work together before this week. I asked Wilson how much time they'd spent working together. Haven't had a lot of opportunity to work with Ari at all. I mean, I missed pretty much all of spring, missed all of training camp, 
Um, I think I only have probably less than eight practices under my belt since coming back from the injury. So I probably caught less than 10 passes than him in my, in since he's been on campus. Um, uh, so that's not an ideal situation, but it's what we're going to have to do, what we're going to have to work with. So definitely going to be utilizing these, utilize uh, practice yesterday. Today's practice is going to be very important, and tomorrow's practice is also going to be very important. Just kind of getting that chemistry, working that chemistry. Well, that 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 conversation was on Tuesday, uh, early afternoon. Now that uh, I'm saying this again on Wednesday night, I'm pretty sure that he's probably caught more than 10 passes from Patu by this point after a couple of practices uh, between between those two guys. For Stanford, this game hinges on two things. I, I, I could give you detailed keys and, and things like that, but but really I, I think this game is just very simple and it hinges on two things, blocking and tackling. I wish it wasn't that fundamental, but that's where it is right now because those are two things that Stanford quite honestly has not done the past couple of weeks. Despite all of the obstacles that Stanford has hit lately, however, four-game losing streak, injuries, inefficiency, uh, self-inflicted wounds, especially in plus territory, and a performance that that was one for the history books and not for any of the right reasons uh, their last time out on the field. Despite all those things, David Shaw still keeping the faith. The thing uh, that I won't lose sight of, which many people outside that might, that's fine. Um uh, we've played some really, really good football this year. A um, couple games, SC and Oregon uh, in particular, where we're able to play and finish games the way we want to finish them. Um, so that's still there. I'm not going to pretend that disappeared. You know, I used to hate this saying, but I understand it, right? Coaches didn't forget how to coach and players didn't forget how to play. Um, there are things that we have not done well, things that we can do better. Um, but the bottom line for us is, is to create that positive momentum start making some plays, get to that fourth quarter, and then finish. Yep, yep. That's that's what this game is all about for Stanford. That's what this all boils down to for the Cardinal this week against the Beavers. Will Stanford be up to the task? We'll find out. We'll find out. In the meantime, I always welcome your thoughts on Stanford football on the show. Uh, big props and thanks again to uh, at Seamer for checking in um, with his thoughts uh, you you can you can have your voice heard as well on this show. I, I would love for this program to be as interactive as it can possibly be. Best way to do that is on Twitter and hit me with the hashtag TreeCast. Hashtag TreeCast, the best way for me to see what you have on your mind. Um, hopefully, we've got good things that we're talking about on Sunday as Stanford comes off of its game against Oregon State and starts to prepare for the California Golden Bears. Good Lord, what a what a past week they've, that program has had, too. As the Bears scheduled to meet the Cardinal in big game next week. So we'll start, uh, we'll start getting ready for that after Sunday's show. But we will see you next time on Sunday with a complete review, analysis, and breakdown of everything we see between Stanford and Oregon State. 2.30 p.m. the kickoff. Pac-12 Network on the TV side with my guys J.B. Long and Max Brown. And on the radio side, the Cardinal Sports Network with my man Scott Reese and John Platts. And we'll break it all down for you on Sunday.
until then, special thanks once again to our special guest, Yogi Roth. Biggest thanks goes out for, to you for checking us out on the show. Don't drink and drive if you do. You're the dumbest person on the planet. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane. Back the pack and back the vac. See you Sunday on the TreeCast with Troy Clarity on the Believe Podcast Network. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.